Welcome to Silverfin Capital's FinSights podcast, hosted by Rich Piznoy, co-founder and principal of Silverfin Capital, lending expert, residential and commercial property owner, and sales and networking professional. This podcast is all about bringing people together for conversations exploring current trends, insights, and innovations around real estate, finance, and life. Today on the Silverfin Capital's FinSights podcast, we're excited to have Gary Mallon. Chief Operating Officer of the Calkin Group, one of the premier real estate firms in New York City, join us as our guest. With over two decades of experience in the field, Gary is widely recognized as one of the most respected and prominent figures in real estate. He is deeply committed to ensuring that his company operates at the highest level, while also seeking out innovative solutions for conducting business smarter and more efficiently. If you don't know Gary, he's got the smile of Julia Roberts and the gravitas of Denzel Washington. He has something else that I like in all my guests, availability. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Gary. Welcome to Finsights. Happy to be here. And as they say, the best ability is availability, right? So here I am. That's pretty good. I never heard that before. I'm sure you've never heard that on TV Well, maybe ever. my dad said that well, once. Well, you know, I listen on sports. They say it every time. <laughs> they Inju- do. <laughs> injury football players. Well, you know, it's better than being uh, unavailable. unavailable. You know, it's funny. I remember when we met at the uh, AGMB golf outing. Little little shout out to Neil Garfinkel. Who doesn't love Neil Garfinkel, otherwise known as Neil Parfinkel? Or Rick Moranis? Rick Moranis. (laughs) I can uh, say it. Shout out to to Neil and everybody over at AGMB. I think we played with Hen and Bogan. Yes. Phil and James. Had a great time. Can't believe it's been about eight or nine years. Wow. Long time. It's crazy. I remember you took a shine to me, got a little uncomfortable. Mm, well, you know, you're a very, very <laughs> wonderful young man. We got past it. That's okay. <laughs> we That's shared a drink okay. and we, we worked it out. We worked, we worked it, it out. out. Well, thank you. You're uh, again, you're thanks welcome. for being here. It's good of course, to see you as ha- always. Happy to be here. My man. I'm getting I, a free dinner out of this. So, I mean, come on. I mean, could, what could be better? I hope you like Taco Bell. I, listen, it's fantastic. Hot sauce is great. It is really good. <laughs> it's good delicious. Stuff. It's, really good. it's good for you, too. Perfect. <laughs> so, before we get into the market, the State of the Union, I want to talk a little bit about the Corcoran Group. Sure. The reason I bring that up is when you're being interviewed, people always want to get your advice on markets, et cetera. But I want to know a little bit more about you and the uh, Corcoran Group. I'll call it CG if, I, if you, I can. You can call it CG all day. Love it. So in the opening, I mentioned that Corcoran was one of the premier brokers in New York City, but your footprint is more than just that. It's the Hamptons, it's South Florida, correct? correct? Mm-hmm. Is there any additional spots? Those are your main your main. Uh, well, areas? we have two sides of our business. One's the owned operations, which is I'm mainly involved in, which is New York City, the Hamptons, South Florida, Palm Beaches. And then we've grown our affiliate network, which is otherwise known as a franchise network. And we're both throughout the United States and now out of the country. We just announced the new affiliate today, I believe, in Italy. Congratulations. Thank you. That's, That's good pretty stuff. cool. Yeah, it's exciting. It's, it's been a very fast growing franchise affiliate network. It started actually right during COVID of all the times to open up a brand new business line. <laughs> a little timing issue, but it turned out to be great. It's uh, fast growing. It's doing incredibly well. You know, listen, the Corcoran brand speaks to luxury and in the sort of franchise world, it's a place that people want to be, especially in the markets that we've been able to really excel at. And as a result of that, we've had a lot of traction in the market so far. It's only been, what is it, three years at this point. It's pretty amazing, you know, especially here, you mentioned Italy or yeah. today, this is news. St. Bart's. We're in a lot of fun places. Can I go to those? Uh, I don't know if you can. We'll have to say. <laughs> Fair maybe, enough. If maybe. I'm there, you'll let me come in. I'll let you take a picture in front of the sign. Well, I, I appreciate it. You're you welcome. Know. You might be a little small for the sign, but we'll, we'll uh, lift it up. I'll, wear, I'll, I'll stand on a box. Okay, I'll get you one. <laughs> a Corcoran box. A Corcoran box. That's perfect. That's perfect. You touched on 
Corcoran, maybe Brand. Uh, so one of the things I always want to understand is I read somewhere that you had mentioned it was important to have people that work for you that understand your brand and can speak to your brand. So tell us about the Corcoran brand. What makes you different? What makes you special? Look, I think it always starts and ends with people. I think we have an incredible group of people, you know, all the agents that work in the company and the entire employment side of the team. And obviously, Pam Lieben has been running Corcoran for many, many years. And, you know, she's really built up the company to where it is today. And I just think we've always felt like you're going to love working at a company if you believe in what the company does and the way it operates. You know, in today's day and age, there's a lot of different brokerage companies out there with a lot of different brokerage models. They all have their pluses. I'm sure they all have their minuses. We believe that we're a traditional brokerage company. And we want to do everything we can to provide value to our agents from a marketing perspective, from a branding perspective, from a technology perspective, just from the human element of being available, having great leadership, you know, and there's a lot of firms out there that their whole business model is, I'm just going to give you the highest split. And that's right. great. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's ultimately what you are looking for. But I always try to explain to people the highest split comes at a very high cost. If they're giving all the money to you, what money are they investing back in you? Right. And in order to really grow, in order to build, you need leverage. In order to have leverage, you need to have a lot of people and you need to have this sort of concept that the greater good is going to prevail. And I always joke around and say, would you rather have, you know, 100% of a grape or 50% of a watermelon? I'd rather have more. And I think a lot of people yeah. just focus on like the highest split, but that doesn't mean the most money. You know, it's funny, it's a similar, not similar industry, but, you know, commission-based businesses everybody's first question is, what's the split? What's the income? What's the split? You know, how does this work? But I, I agree with you. As a, as a business owner myself, I tend to see what can we offer that other people can't. Well, listen, other when you file your tax can't. return, they don't ask you what your commission split was. They ask you how much money you made. I'd rather make more money on a lower split than make less money on a higher split. That's fair. Makes sense. Yeah, well, some logic helps. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's true. Sometimes I can... Uh, I miss that. Yes, but, we'll help you. Well, so the Corcoran Group, I know, has a strong social media presence across various platforms. So TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, as well as your own website. It's all so cool. I was on there and I love the weightless video. There's a little uh, video of people jumping like into the water. And what I get from that is you're kind of taking the monkey off people's back, so to speak, or the piano off people, so that you kind of help them go through the process. Folks, I got to tell you, if you get a chance, you should definitely check it out. There's some amazing photos as well. And I think there's a cute little dog video. Also sure, of course. Who doesn't love dogs? Pretty, who Come doesn't on. love dogs? But it really is amazing. So when I look at that, it kind of leads me to a question. How crucial is having an active social media presence and a strong SEO for professionals, not just in any business, but in the real estate industry? I mean, look, it's critical to me. I think that you have to take advantage of all the opportunities that are out there to expose yourself. You need to make sure that you're going where the clients are. I think what's great about Corkin is our tagline really works, live who you are. And I think if you look through all the things that we do, we really try to have that message resonate through all the different channels that we're working on. And I think that you don't necessarily have to love social media from an individual perspective. I can understand some people, just not their cup of tea. And I completely respect and I understand that. But in the business world, you need to be where consumers' eyes are. And we always say, don't be a secret agent. And a secret agent's one you can't find. So you need to find great reference, you, you need way. to find the balance between getting out there, making sure people can find you. I always tell people, imagine if there was one owner that owned a large portfolio of buildings and they were working with a real estate agent currently, and for whatever reason, they fell out of favor. 
And maybe that owner feels like, well, this agent sort of became complacent, was phoning it in. There was no social media. There was no this, there was no that. And I always tell my agents, I'm like, whether you realize it or not, you're being interviewed online. People are looking at you and your digital footprint to understand, do they see that this individual represents what I want them to represent? Do they have a strong Instagram? Do they have Facebook, TikTok, whatever that individual owner does? And if for whatever reason you don't have that, that doesn't mean you wouldn't have been qualified for the job. But if that individual owner was very honed in on something and you didn't have that in your toolbox, you might lose out on an opportunity. So you have to find the balance between getting the right business model for yourself, but also understanding you need to be a little uncomfortable at times. Great point. You know, I love the reference of secret agent. I've never heard that before. I think that's unique. Can I use that? You can use it. Can any, I take credit for it? You could take credit for everything I say. <laughs> yeah. no I appreciate that. Listen, of course, nothing, we're I, I'm, friends. I'm, I, use it at will. It. It's, it's done. I'm using I'm it. I'm a lawyer, so I just gave you all my rights. Thank you. I, oh, I have to give you, do I have to give you a dollar? No. No, unless you say something a little salacious. Well, I don't have a dollar. Uh, so. well, then I'll take uh, Venmo. <laughs> Venmo, of course. So how important would you say, and this is everywhere, but really at Corcoran, would you say, do you guys view realtor education? And before you answer that, I, I don't mean just continuing education. I'm talking about understanding the buildings, the management, the neighborhood, financing, all of the above. You guys bring people in. Do you have an educational department of sorts? We are heavily invested and heavily believe in education. We have an entire education team that we call the Agent Studio. And we offer every type of class that you could possibly imagine, whether it's social media, whether it's the basics of getting into business, sales, rentals, marketing. We bring in mortgage brokers. We bring in attorneys. We bring in all sorts of different people because in the end, you're going to be successful whatever you do. Knowledge is power. And if you're not going to put the time into learning and really honing in and perfecting your craft, that doesn't mean you're not going to be successful and it doesn't mean you're not going to be good. Some people are just unbelievable networkers and they have this huge social presence out there and people come in. But people want to talk to people that are knowledgeable about the market, that understand what's going on, and they want to feel that you're actually being of a resource to them. And if your only resource is simply opening a door... It's kind of limited. So you want to expand on that. So our team is really fantastic team. We have a facility called the Agent Studio. We do it virtually. We go to people's offices. So we really try to expose our training platform in as many ways as humanly possible. And I think COVID really was an opportunity for this team to shine because within a moment's notice, they went from live to fully virtual and we kept our people engaged from the beginning of COVID until they were back in the office, because if you weren't working in the office and you couldn't go out and see things, there was no better opportunity than to be trained on the things, whether rolling out a brand new CRM or understanding how to use our database better or do market research better. So yeah, if you're not training and not coaching and not mentoring, I think you're leaving your agents a little bit short-sighted about what the future is for them. So I think if they see you care about it, they probably care more than they would have otherwise. First of all, I think it's incredible that you have, you said it was the agent studio. That's a unique and dynamic thing that Corcoran has that gives everybody an advantage that works there over everybody else. And quite honestly, it gives everybody an advantage that uses you guys. Yeah, listen, we've done seminars for buyers to explain to them what's going on in the marketplace. In the end, a brokerage company needs to grow and evolve just like an individual agent needs to grow and evolve. Yeah. And we need to always press ourselves to think outside the box. You know, complacency doesn't breed success. You can't rest on your laurels in this business. And I think if you're always pushing and trying, people understand it, they respect it, and they gravitate towards it. 
kind of cool. I mean, we've talked about a lot of cool stuff that Corcoran does. I'm sure there's a zillion other things that you do. But what does Corcoran struggle with? What do you think is preventing you guys from getting even better? Let's say, what is your biggest need? I know it may be a tough question, but sometimes, you know, when you, when you look around the whole thing, sometimes you're like, we need what? I don't know if it's necessarily one specific thing that we have in need. I think that we have such a diverse group of people that work in all these different departments. It really more comes down to just constantly pushing and constantly trying to grow and constantly trying to build and constantly trying to inspire people to go beyond their comfort zone. And I think every brokerage company to some degree struggles with that. I mean, look, when the market's really strong and the market's really hot, people are making money hand over fist and they're happy and everything is great. But then the minute the business sort of slows itself down and now all of a sudden these agents that were sort of doing well because the rising tide floats all boats, now all of a sudden they're in a situation like, what do I need to do? So I think as a brokerage company, it's how do you inspire your people? How do you motivate your people? How do you get your third and fourth coral tire agents to really see the bigger picture? You can't sit around and wait for business. You need to actually create business. So I think all brokerage companies sort of struggle with how do you motivate the masses? Like, yes, we always understand the top does all the business, but inside of there, there's so many agents that have so many relationships and so many opportunities for business. It's like, how do you get them to get out of their comfort zone? So I don't know if that's a specific answer answer to what Corcoran struggles with, but I think getting agents to really realize their own potential is what we want to help them accomplish. Mm -hmm. But you know, you can't do everything for everyone. It's always a struggle of how do you sort of motivate those that maybe want to go on a different path. And by the way, the greatest thing about being a real estate agent is you can do what you want the way you want. Like we don't want you to like be a machine and do what we say, but if we look at your business and we say like, Hey, here's an opportunity for you to grow. Here's an opportunity for you to build. And if you would just like push yourself, use our CRM to spend some time learning it, working with it, playing with it. I don't care if it takes six months, just use it. You'll see, you'll capture business. You are the way, oh, I don't really think I need it. It's not my thing. So it's just a struggle of trying to get people to do things that maybe they're not comfortable doing. And I think that's in every industry. Well, I can tell you it's in mine. You know, <laughs> It's the same thing. You referring to that 80-20 rule when you said most business comes from the top, but but yeah, you want people to grow and, and to be fair, to listen a little bit because not everything that somebody does for the past 10 years works for the next 10 years. So I appreciate what you're saying there. And, and yeah, I think it's a struggle sometimes for all businesses. And I also think in business, there's always something new out there. There's always something shiny. Yeah. You know, I always joke around like, you know, in Finding Nemo, Dory always goes off and sees something I shiny. Like Dory, by the way. Well, she's fantastic. But when you get out there, <laughs> there's nothing there. And I think sometimes everyone's always looking for the short, quick fix answer. And they always want your company to jump into this immediately because they heard it's cool and they heard it's great and so on and so forth. But like, you can't really do that. Like you actually have to spend the time and effort and attention investigating these things, ensuring they are what they say they are. To tell an agent to go on a path and spend some of his or her money on something just because someone said it's a cool thing. And then it turns out that it's sort of smoke and mirrors. Yep. That's not good. So I think you always have to sort of temper that and understand there's always going to be changes and everyone should embrace change and everyone should look after change and say, you know what, we got to be better tomorrow than we were today. But that doesn't mean that we need to actually do each and everything that somebody else is doing because somebody else is doing it. We're privileged in the sense Corcoran's a very strong, big, successful company with amazing agents and amazing leaders. And it's like, collectively speaking, we're going to come to the right answer. So just jumping in and everything doesn't necessarily work, but people want you to at times because it seems cool. 
Yeah, no, you're, you're right. I mean, it's the suggestion box isn't always filled with great suggestions. Right, um, but like, but the, the most important thing is to make sure people know that we want their suggestions. Yeah, no, of course. We never want respect them to, their opinion. Right, yeah. We never want them to feel like they can't bring them. Bring them, but let us go investigate them. Yeah. Like, just don't tell us because your friend said it was great. It's great. Maybe it is, but maybe not for this business. Let us go do our due diligence and get back to you. No, that makes a lot of sense. So traditionally, we're coming into purchase season. Spring brings buyers. We get busier on the lending side. But when we talk about New York City, is this really the case in the city? Does the city have a purchase season or is it just all year round? There's definitely a purchase season. There's definitely the fall season. There's the spring season. The difference in New York City is just depth, how many transactions happen on a daily, weekly, yearly basis. But there's no doubt that there are certain times of the year where it's far busier than others. The first quarter for the brokerage business is historically speaking, not your busiest quarter. Right. We're coming into April, May, June, things get busy. Then over the summer, things start to slow down. People take vacations, kids graduate from school, lots of different things happen. Come back after Labor Day and off you go again. So there's definitely cycles like everywhere else in New York City. I just think sometimes just because the volume of transactions that people see, they don't think that there's a sort of up and a down, but there definitely is like every other business. I'm sure if you look at your own book of business and stuff, you're placing in Manhattan, Brooklyn or Queens, attracts the market just like anywhere else. Yeah, well, I can tell you flat out that recently business has gotten significantly better just because of the season that we're entering. Winter is kind of a little bit of a doldrum, so to speak. Coming out of that, it's 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 always. Yeah, and it's I a also nice think thing. with interest rates and all these sort of topsy turvy issues that are going on in the world, and I think buyers have finally capitulated to the fact this is the market. I need to jump in if I need to jump in. I always tell people like, what is your reason for buying? Is it an investment or is it your home? And if it's your home. If you start analyzing and become paralyzed by all the data that comes at your way and you never make a decision and you never make a move, was that good for you? Was that good for your family? Maybe the answer is yeah, and that's great. But if it's not, sometimes you have to say to yourself, well, look, the, the market went down 10, 15%, whatever the number actually is. There's probably five to 7% negotiability going on as well. So let's say you're anywhere from 15 to 20% possibly down in certain neighborhoods that you want to live in and say, okay, well, if I'm going to get an asset today that's 15 or 20% down from its highs, and I put the same amount of money down that I was going to put before, I do an interest only or do an arm, why am I focusing on the rate? Focus on your payment. Because in the end, that's really the only important thing. Sooner or later, the rate is going to adjust to some degree. And at that point, maybe you then marry the rate to the home that you bought and everything's fantastic. But maybe we have to all grow accustomed to the fact that 2.5%, 3% loans are gone for a really long period of time and that this is the new normal. You have to understand, like, if you're always waiting for the best time to buy or sell or this, the only time you know a good market was a good market, it's already in the rearview mirror and you missed your opportunity. Right. The second you realize it. Completely agree. In fact, it's funny for our business, we realize that nobody, I hate to say it like this, but nobody remembers the two and a half percent rate at this point. It's kind of interesting. I'm not saying they don't remember four or five, but they don't remember the super lows of when during, during COVID. I mean, like we, we recently did a survey. We asked our agents just what was going on with their clientele. And there's a decent amount of sellers out there that they're not selling because they're locked into their low interest rate and they don't want to buy and pay a higher interest rate. But like, okay, well, depending on where you're selling and where you're buying and what the market is, I always tell people don't adjust and react just to an interest rate. Actually put pen to paper and figure out the economics of it. And listen, banks are offering all sorts of deals these days. You can't get caught up in just that. If it's an investment, 
you know, it's a different concept because maybe it's not the best time to invest. Maybe for you, you, you don't think it's working because you need to have a decent amount of leverage on it to make it work. And therefore you can't rent it out for the price that you thought. But that's different than someone who's buying it as their primary residence. So it's not apples to apples all the time. And sometimes you just need to say to yourself, if I need to move, I need to move. Yeah, I'm just no, going to have fair. to deal with it. But don't forget also at some point, you know, rates go up, rates come down. Markets go up. A lot markets of people refinance. And, and by the way, if, if rates like, start to go down, you know what's going to go up? Prices. Prices. So now all of a sudden, what, you pay more for a lower interest rate and you're paying the same amount of money every month? That doesn't work. It's a guttural reaction to a number versus an intellectual reaction to a, a figure. I'm going to take a second and, and breathe in what you just said. Say that one more time. I need to, I need that to spell good. that out. I like that. It, that was pretty it, it, good. Like people, no, and I'm not, I'm not no, even no, kidding. That was like, very good. It's like people are very much having this guttural reaction to a number and it freaks them out and they can't act because two months ago I could have got three and now it's five. But intellectually, if you actually take a step back and analyze what you could have bought something for, what you did buy it for, and you look at the numbers, in the end, if your payment comes out to relatively be the same, and don't forget there's tax benefits, they're writing things off. Sure. Like sometimes you just have to take a step back or talk to somebody who's not in the vortex of you which is buying and the emotional component of it. Speak to a professional, speak to a family member, speak to someone that you might know in the industry. Just get a different perspective because all of a sudden you might be like, you know what? You're not wrong. I didn't think about it that way. Yeah, no, it's true. You know, you mentioned something about, think about the payment. We know it's really interesting when we talk about just financing and we're going to move on after this, but in the lending industry, everybody's concerned about what? Interest rate. Buy a car, what's everybody concerned with? payment. Yeah. Your credit card, what's everybody concerned with? Payment. Nobody actually thinks about the interest rate when you, when, when you look at a well, credit card. you never card, looked at your credit card oh and tried God, to kill yourself. Oh my God, you want to vomit, right? It's, it's like, <laughs> what, what window am I going to jump out of? No, but it's an interesting thought as to why in one case they look at rate, in the other case they look at payment. And the truth is payment is really where everything is. It makes sense And by to the way, you, there's so many opportunities over the course of the life of your loan. You would know better than I, because I don't. What does the average person keep his or her loan for in general? Generally, it's about six to seven years. Okay, great. So go do a 10-year loan. And that's it. You're okay, safe to, and, and, you're and safe. like you're safe. Like, but it's people are conditioned to do a 30-year loan. People are conditioned to yeah. look at certain things in certain ways. And it's like, you know what? There's a lot of products out there that might suit you far better than you thought. Absolutely. So go ask the right questions. And then by the end, when you're done, you do your due diligence. If you don't feel comfortable, great, don't buy. It's totally fine. Like, no one's trying to force anyone to do anything, but it's more just like education, knowledge, power. Absolutely. Completely agree with you. I think you said it perfectly. In that same vein, I'm looking at things. I say, look, rates are up slightly. They're not at, at the highs that they were recently. I say recent highs. Prices maybe a drop in a bit. Instead of 20 people online looking at a property, maybe that's like three. Most potential buyers, I think, are aware of this a little bit. People still purchasing, maybe not at the same level as I mentioned. But what does that mean when we look at co-op boards? You know, even some condo boards. When we talk about Let's just say sometimes co-op boards can be a little selective in who they approve and who they deny. Are they becoming a little bit more friendly? Whether they are or not, they should be. I think that the result of being overly, I don't want to say restrictive, their rules are their rules. And I think at times these rules are not as modern as they should be. I don't think that they meet today's sort of understanding of what's going on. I think that you want to bring as many buyers to the table as possible. You want to give your sellers the opportunity to increase their value as much as possible. And by having a lot of restrictive rules and, and all the requirements and the inability to lease under certain circumstances or for extended periods of time. Is that truly the best way to run a building? 
For some people, it is. Some people will say to yourselves, like, look, during the Great Recession, our building didn't suffer as much because of our vetting process, because people had the wherewithal to do this. But in, in condos, no, maybe it wasn't. So, you know, I get it, but I, I just think that people really should sort of understand the world is a different place today than it was when all of these rules were put into place. And I think the whole goal is to enfranchise as many people as humanly possible to be homeowners. That's it. And I think you can have the level of restrictions you want for comfort, but they could probably be eased up in a way that it wouldn't give up too much, but it would gain a lot on the other side. Whether that happens or not, it's sort of hard to say. I think people get so sort of built into their belief systems that they don't want to look and say, wait a minute, you know, the only thing in life that's inevitable is change, right? So they don't like to change, but they should. And that doesn't mean they need to go full condo rules, but there's definitely a way to bring it closer together where it sort of increases value and it makes things easier on potential sellers as well as purchasers. Yeah, I think it's a great point. You know, we go back to education, you know, understanding, especially if it's in your the neighborhoods that you work as a real estate agent or a broker, understanding which buildings might be a little bit more difficult to get into or approved by the board. Hey, they're easing up a little bit. But to your point, I think it makes a little bit sense to kind of figure out a way to have a happy medium as opposed to just downright, no, 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 no. Everyone loves to operate in this world in the extremes. My position is everyone's got to get to the middle. In the middle is the best place to be. I win some, I lose some. It's like I always say, the best negotiations, we both walk away unhappy because we both got something we wanted, but we both didn't. So no one feels they got something over on the other person. And it's sort of like a little give and take ultimately goes a long way. And sadly, you know, in a lot of realms of the world today, it's sort of one side or the other and you don't want to catch to the middle. Hopefully people will sort of look at the bigger picture sooner or later and move towards the middle. But I guess people are very entrenched in their positions these days. Yeah, I would say so. So we have... Soho and NoHo and Hudson Yards and Dumbo and Tribeca, you know, and every single acronym that is pretty cool. What's the hottest market in the, in the, not going to say five boroughs, but let's say in the city, in Brooklyn, Long Island City. It's always. Is there a hot market? I mean, look, there's always hot areas. There's no doubt. People would find it interesting that the Upper East Side is an area that people would always say is not such a strong area. Go try to find certain apartments in the Upper East Side. You're not going to find them right now, or you're not going to find them at a price that you can even stomach. So I think markets change areas change, opportunities change, what just happened with Long Island Railroad and Grand Central or the Second Avenue subway or all the sort of great gentrification in the neighborhoods. You look what's happened in the Bronx, you look what's happened in parts of Brooklyn, Queens, you see what goes on. Like, I think there's opportunity everywhere and it's sort of like a matter of who can make investments, who's willing to take the risks, what opportunities are there, what's the price points. I mean, look, it's hard to always predict what's great, but listen, the downtown market, the far west side, the far west side with Hudson Yards and everything over there has transformed the city from what it was to what it is. So all of a sudden, with that much money being poured into commercial and residential and infrastructure, it's bound to be successful. It's bound to be great yeah. because you're making that true financial investment. Look what happened on the High Line many the years ago. Amazing. You amazing. know, what they did and how they transformed form that and how they just brought that to life. So, you know, it takes people that have a little bit of creativity, obviously a little bit of risk involved with them, and they're willing to see what the future is going to be. Listen, right now it's tough to build with lack of tax incentives and city council fighting everything and everyone, whether it's converting office buildings into residential buildings, legalizing basement apartments. There's a million issues that are out there that face headwinds, but ultimately 
the city's strong. Like, despite what everyone talks about and despite what everyone says, like, everyone's leaving. That's not true. Like, there's not a tremendous amount of inventory to buy. There's not a tremendous amount of inventory to rent. Go out for dinner in the city. Get in a cab in the city. I got in a cab to meet someone last night. I left 57th and whatever it was, 5th. I think it took me 40 minutes to get down to 24th <laughs> Street. Okay? If a city was empty, it wouldn't have taken me 40 empty. minutes. Yeah, so no, I absolutely. just think that there's always this sort of narrative that people want to paint about what's going on. The city's a vibrant place. Yeah, is I it think the city's, what, 2% rental? Like it's at, uh, uh, it, it, is it going through its issues? Sure, it's going through its issues. Yeah. But in the end, people want to live there. Like it's fun. It's exciting. Like you walk out your front door, there's a million things going on. So listen, there's different stages of life and you come, you go, but the city is still doing great. Well, I love to hear that. Yes. Everyone calls me a Pollyanna, but you know, I'm optimistic. I like the city. The city's great. Listen, Look, I'm moving back to the city. I just sold, city. I just I sold my just... house in Long Island. I'm going back in the other direction. Listen, if you want to come out to Long Island, just Airbnb a room. hotel, I think. I can't Airbnb my, a room. Jenny won't let me in. You can't. Jenny will. She, uh, She'll she, let you she, out and me in. She, she said Rachel can stay in the house. Well, Neil Garfinkel <laughs> offered me a room already. So you can yeah. stay in my he garage. He has a golf sim. You know, what do you have? Fair. I have a garage. Is it I have a dog. I have a dog. Neil mm. doesn't have a dog. No, I'll walk your dog for you. That'll be, that'll, be, <laughs> that'll be my price I, of entry. I appreciate it. You had mentioned earlier people not being in the office, people being in the office. So there's, you know, the old adage, location, location, location. Is it still the most important factor in real estate? Yeah, of course it is. Does the world at large and hybrid work or purely virtual work give people the opportunity to possibly live in other neighborhoods? Of course it does. Yep. But the reality is you want to be where you like to be. You want to be where you spend your time. You want to be close to your family. You want to be close to work. You want to be close to restaurants, bars, or you want to be close to access out or into the city, whatever it is. So to me, location is always key. Yes, of course, there's sprawl and people have more options now than they might have had before. But in the end, you want to be where you want to be and you're going to pay for it. Yeah. No, you'll pay for it. But the truth is, if you're happy where that location is, then it... You know, listen, obviously it comes down to ability to afford, but you don't want to have to spend 35, 40 minutes going where you want to go every day if you don't have to. So the, the reality is like, but by the way, what's funny is everyone's location, location, location isn't always the same. There's a lot of people who have different perspectives on what's a key great location versus somebody else. But I think that ultimately speaking, being well-situated is a primary motivating factor for people when they're purchasing or renting. I think it's a great point where you just said that the location isn't necessarily the same for every individual person that is renting or buying. Listen, there are people, again, we talk about working from home. There are people that have offices in New Jersey, in, in Florida, you know, anywhere, you know, on Long Island, in their house. And they don't always have to be there. Or if they are there, at least they want to live close Look, I, somewhere. I'm choosing to live where I'm living in the city for two to three reasons, right? One, I want to walk to work. Two, I want to walk to my daughter's apartment and see her. And three, I want to be able to get out of the city and hop in the car and go see my dad who lives in Great Neck. So right, to me, perfect. location to me is convenience. Me, like, we should have invited your dad, by the way. <laughs> Listen, he, he would take over. Um, <laughs> he's got a lot of great stories. But like for me, that's what's important. My location comes down to a very small place because that's what's important to me. Someone else might say, no, I want to be down in Tribeca. And I'm like, great. I think Tribeca is absolutely tremendous. But for my lifestyle, it wouldn't help me. Doesn't like work. the convenience of living in the city is to get out of my apartment and be where I want to be in a matter of minutes without getting in a cab. But there's other people that don't mind. They're like, oh, listen, I don't mind. My lifestyle is going to be downtown. So I will 
deal with the other parts, which is like, once again, neither is right or wrong. It's personal preference. Absolutely. Totally agree. So now look, inflation's coming down a bit because of what the Fed's moves with raising interest rates, but still high. Stock market worries, things like that. Have you seen increase, decrease in a number of cash buyers? Or even besides that, sec part two, if you will, as Rodney Dangerfield did in Back to School, I only have one question in 27 parts. <laughs> um, so are there more or less cash buyers? But if they aren't, are they waiving their mortgage contingencies, appraisal contingencies? What do you see out there? There's definitely more cash buyers out there these days than there have been for a while. I think some of them just have taken money out of the stock market and they feel like, listen, the real estate market's down a little bit. I can make a good deal here. I could get my my deal pushed through pretty quickly. I think it's a pretty safe asset. You know, listen, I think that those that are willing to waive contingencies, whatever it might be, are people who know that they're qualified and know they have nothing to worry about and, and know that this is an easier path to get things done. If you're hesitant hesitant about that, then you're probably going to try to do it. But then maybe the, the seller is not going to want to work with you and they're going to go with somebody else. So I think it's always a matter of understanding the market. Once again, New York City is a different market than Long Island, right? So what goes on here doesn't necessarily mean if you sell your house here, you're going to have the same circumstances there. So it's just a matter of understanding your own personal circumstances. If you know you're qualified, do you really need to go through it? I see the appraisal, yes. At times, the appraisal could be a problem. But as long as you're putting down enough money, the appraisal is probably not going to not be a problem. Be so it's just a matter of understanding your circumstances. But listen, if it's what you need and what you want, you should always ask for whatever it is and see what can happen. Like the worst someone could say to you is no. But the best thing they could say is sure, happily. I like sure. Don't, <laughs> don't say no. Please don't say no. <laughs> My kids always say no when I tell them to clean up. So let's talk from a tech standpoint. Sure. So- lending and countless other industries, real estate. There seems to be many companies trying to do business using uh, artificial intelligence. Chat, uh, GPT. GPT. Well, we saw that today. In fact, it's funny. I wrote this question for you before today when we saw Wozniak and Musk talk about ChatGPT and all that stuff. But that being said, there's two different views of this. One is, I'm not talking about information for a second. I'm just talking about they can find or do the job of the real estate agent for a fraction of the cost. Commissions are lower or a one-time fee that we work 24-7. Is it something that concerns you? Do we lose the human touch? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, look, you would be a fool not to think that things can change in any industry, but history at the moment has told you that these free firms that have entered the market, they will go unnamed, have not done well, and they don't exist in the market anymore. You know, most people that are buying a home or selling a home, it's their single largest asset. And are they well-versed in the marketplace? Do they understand how to attract buyers? Do they understand how to negotiate? Do they want to sit in open houses? Are they going to be more emotional than a hired professional when it comes to selling your home? Everyone thinks their home's the prettiest, nicest, best, but you know what? Not true. A lot of their taste is great for them. It's not great for someone else. And if they hear someone says, I got to rip this all out, all of a sudden it's like, you don't value my home. We're not selling you this house. Like, okay, but I just don't like your taste. That doesn't mean your taste is bad. It's just not my taste. So listen, I think ultimately this is a customer service business. This is a hospitality business. My first question to everyone is what business are you in? Real estate, sales. No, you're in the hospitality business. Hospitality and sales are two different things. Hospitality is about 
exceeding people's expectations, what's right for that client. Sales is about how much money are you going to make? Do you want to work with someone that cares more about you and your end game or how much money they make? If you care more about someone's end game, you're going to make more money anyway. So I think the real estate agent's a critical component to the job. They're knowledgeable. They understand the market. I always say, are you going to go hire the cheapest lawyer, cheapest doctor, cheapest accountant out there just because they're going to work for less? Once again, are they going to give you the same level of work that someone that pays full freight is? Typically, the person who is best at what he or she does in any industry has earned the right to make what they're making. And I just think like if your only goal is to save money, and once again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, then try it out. But once again, how do you know? that the person who's the expert would have priced it differently, would have negotiated differently, would have got a better deal. Well, I'm just going to send it out. I'm instantaneously going to save a commission because I'm only offering X. Okay. How do you know that every agent is going to bring his or her client there? You have no idea at what cost the savings comes to you. So in the end, it, there's nothing wrong with trying to sell it on your own. I always tell people, you, you have to do whatever's best for you. But this concept of like, you can just hire a robot and sell your home, I don't buy it. I just yeah. think it's a personal decision and you want guidance and you want people getting back to you and you want them advising you and you want them holding your hand when it's stressed out and you want to work it out. So listen, there's different strokes for different folks. People will do different things. And I'm never going to say one side's right or the wrong. I just think you're going to want to work with someone who's a professional. That's my personal belief. No, but that makes sense. You know, look, I can tell you that I've been in the lending industry for 20 years. And I remember when I bought my home, the amount of questions I still had, and even if it was significantly lower than called the average buyer, it was nice to be able to talk to somebody. Put ideas off you know, people. Make, some, idea. make you feel comfortable with whatever you're doing. If you feel you have someone that's truly customer service, hospitality oriented, versus someone who's just trying to sell you a home, you'll realize the difference. Absolutely. It always makes me think, I'm going to the best doctor. He got straight C's, or she got straight C's. Because right. like, <laughs> he's cheap. Right. Like, okay, so you're going to risk your else. life right, it's, for how much it costs. So why is real estate the profession where people don't value the expertise of the person that did it? This isn't HGTV yeah. where you go show three homes and you buy one. Like people don't realize these agents put a lot of time and a lot of yeah. effort and they put their own money behind it. They're professionals. They care. They work hard. They perfect their craft. They're really good at what they do. So why not value and respect them for what their position is? Sadly, the real estate industry just has a bad wrap for a few bad apples. So it's sort of like it overshadows the good that everyone else does. But if you spoke to anyone and I get hundreds, if not thousands of like thank you letters from clients who have worked with our agents and say the most glowing things, a stressful transaction made easy, stayed with me from day one to, to the end. And it's like, okay, that's what they're supposed to do. And that's the value of it. Like you want to make sure that, that people are executing at a high level. And I think some people just don't value it. And you're not going to get those people to agree with you. So it's like I always say, there's no sense talking sane to the insane because they don't care what you say. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like that's their personal opinion, which they are entitled to. Why try to convince them otherwise? You don't believe in it? Sell your home on your own or work on your own and try to negotiate the best deal. Maybe you'll win, maybe you won't, but like you'll feel better about it. So do it. But the truth is the vast majority of people realize they hire a professional. I think what happens is they hired the wrong professional. And they're like, this person didn't do his or her job, right? Because they weren't hospitality focused. Yeah. They were sales focused. I love hearing that a company cares. I think it's so important and that you teach care. Listen, the truth is you can be in the hospitality business, not give a shit about 
the person that you're working for. But if you're doing the best job that, that I'm telling you, if you really don't care, but you're still working your tail off and doing what's necessary to be successful and make sure that they're happy and that they're successful at what they do, then you're doing your job so as well. So I try to explain to our agents, you know, when your job really starts, it's after the sale, not the sale. The sale is what you were paid to do. Everything you do thereafter defines the connectivity you have to that person and whether you're going to be part of their sphere of influence, whether you're going to get yeah. their referrals. If you just think that working really hard and getting paid is the beginning, the middle, and the end of a transaction, you're very likely not going to get the level of referrals from that person over the course of time that you could. So it's like, okay, that was step one. Step two is providing all these associated services, calling them the day they move in, sending them a gift, sending them a handwritten note, whatever it is, yeah. reaching out to them. If they're in the neighborhood, stop by, find out when their kids' birthdays are. There's a million different things you can do to show someone you listen and you care. And that's the job. That's how you really define and separate yourself from the competition. If all you did was literally just open the door, sign the lease, open the door, sign the contract to sell, and then you're done with that person, the person's very likely done with you too. You might not realize it, but eventually they're sending their referrals to somebody else. Right. You didn't make a mark. I totally agree with that. So being able to show an apartment, a home for a buyer or a renter is always a priority. You have foreign or out-of-state buyers or renters. Mm-hmm. So does Corcoran um, have a virtual showing of a home? Do they do FaceTime? How does that transaction work? So agents will do and meet the needs of the clients that they have. If they can't get in, they can't get in. I mean, ideally, I would always tell people that's not my preferred method because you know what? can't necessarily see everything. You can't necessarily feel everything. You can't get the vibe and the energy. But if this is what that person wants... You know, make sure they're signing an agreement that this was a sight unseen deal and so on and so forth. We always try to say to like, listen, maybe they have a friend, a family member, a colleague, somebody here locally that could at least go there too. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with what you're doing, but you know what? Expectations don't always meet reality and you didn't do anything wrong. The camera could only do so much. Uh, the street wasn't my street. I didn't, I couldn't get the light. So we'll do it, of course, because technology is simple and as easy as it possibly can be. You can do virtual showings during COVID. That's what people are doing. Yeah. You know, so you can do it. Do I think it's the best method? No, but if that's what the client wants, then you meet the client's need. Well, fair enough. So what is the future of real estate? look like are we going to live in pods underground <laughs> i would hope not i mean that would be that would be there'd be no sunlight there no golf down there either so I, i'd have a big problem you know you know i'm just there's no golf down there. uh, yeah, it's terrible. Be terrible. I mean, but, maybe putt putt that'd be, so, but neil neil garfinkel would not be able to survive we'll all hang out in his house yeah we'll go so what do you think? I mean- uh, Look, I think technology is always going to play a role in it. I think you're always going to have advancements in technology. You're always going to have to utilize those. But ultimately, it comes down to service, 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 and more service. Are you service-oriented? Yes or no. Is your company making the right investments in its infrastructure? Yes or no. Do they have right branding? Do they have right marketing? Do they have right PR? Do they have right education? Are they always forward-thinking? I always say, like, people think success is a ladder. Take a step up, you take a step up, you get to the top, you're the king, you've won it all. And then you know what happens? The world changes, you fall right off. Success is a circle. Keep on going around and around and around and growing and building and making mistakes, fixing your mistakes, growing and building and doing more. Because you know what? Every day is different than the day before. And I think as a brokerage company, you have to adapt. Do I think physical footprint of offices will be as relevant in the future as they are today? No. 
people don't come to the office. That was even prior to COVID. Yeah. You know, they were coming more, but they weren't coming as often. COVID really let people know, I don't need to be physically in the office as much. So I think the physical footprint aspect of it really died. But marketing and branding and technology, they're going to continually have advancements. They're going to continually have things to help people become more efficient, more effective, more productive. And a brokerage company has to go on that wave. But I always will say, you need to have great technology and great people. If you only have one, you're doomed. You can't have it without both. You can't. And that's just the way this industry works. So one works in complement to the other, not against one another. And I think the firms that understand that, embrace that, and actually execute on that are the ones that will succeed versus the ones that say, I'll just invest in this, but I won't invest in that. Like, okay, maybe you're right, but I don't see that working. Great way of thinking about it. I love it. So I wanted to finish up, actually, talk a little bit about networking. Look, you're a man that's kind of everywhere. And look, I think it's very important. I think networking is extremely important. But, you know, I find that people don't know how to network. I find that people are sometimes set in their ways or they're too lazy to network because maybe they don't understand. And when I say network, I'm not just talking about, hey, let's go to a networking event that's being hosted at Cranes or, you know, I'm talking about creating your own network or doing your social media, going to events, putting yourself out there. How important is it in being in front of people and, and putting yourself in that position to be successful and being out there? I don't know how you're in this business if you're not. I certainly appreciate that it's not necessarily everyone's comfort zone. Yeah. But the bottom line is you always have to be looking for ways to grow your sphere of influence. You always have to be looking for ways to expand your business. Just because today this way of generating business works for you, this is your only way of generating business, what happens if for some reason that sort of dries up for some unknown reason? Nothing, you did nothing wrong. And that was it. You know, we call it like spinning plates. You have to have multiple spinning plates going on at the same exact time because you never know which side of your business is going to feed your other business. I'm not a firm believer in like these big networking events. I kind of feel like those are not my gig. I'll go to them, but I don't really find them to be valuable personally. The networking is the one-on-one networking. It's understanding your clientele, understanding who they are, what drives them, what motivates them, staying in touch with them. You want to be their agent, not a agent or any industry. And you can't be their agent if you're not engaged in what's going on in their life in one way, shape, or form. Like to me, it's so simple. Everyone wants, when people do things for people's kids, people love them. Find out when your kids that you just sold this home to, their birthdays are. Send them balloons on their birthday. Send them a handwritten note. Pick up the phone every now and then. Ask them for a drink. Ask them for dinner. Hey, I was in your neighborhood. I was just thinking about you. Show up the day they've moved and offer them a gift. Like just do something to be out there. If you're just going to assume that because you did a good job, your job's over, it's a mistake. I think uh, this business is a sort of connectivity business and you don't know where your next client's coming from. And I, there was a story years ago, probably don't have all the facts right because I'm old, but there was a woman who worked for us at City Habitats way back in the day and she's brand new to the business. I mean, brand, brand new, like within two months. And this family called there. They needed an apartment for their daughter. And ultimately, this woman worked as hard as she possibly could work. And these people wanted like a needle in a haystack. And it literally did not exist. And the client probably knew that it didn't exist. And the agent knew that it didn't exist. But the agent didn't care. She's like, listen, I'm brand new. I have to hustle. I'll learn product. 
while I'm out there. I'll meet clients. Like there's a there's something good's going to come out of it. I don't necessarily know what that good is, but I'm going to do my best. Long story short, of course they couldn't find the rental because it didn't exist. But the parents said to her, "You know what? I don't care that you're in business for two months. I'm selling my home. It's a million dollar home. I'm giving it to you, and I don't care that you never sold it, never rented anything. Because if you're going to work that hard on this apartment that doesn't exist, I don't care. You're going to crush it on my home." And that was because they realized how good this woman was. And then now she's in their sphere of influence and they talk about her and she shows up and she does things and so on and so forth. And by the way, all of our agents and everybody's companies have people that are coming and going from different localities. Like you have to market yourself like a Corcoran in particular. We have a huge network, right? Whether it's the Corcoran affiliate network, whether it's my parent company anywhere and Caldwell Bank or Sotheby's, ERA, Century 21. We have this massive network of people right? That we can refer business to in any market. Like, so if you're not staying involved in your people's lives, how do you know that they're not going to be moving to a different locale, their best friend or their family or whomever? So if you're not engaging in networking, you've, there's no doubt you're losing money. And it's passive income in that regard. If I could pick up the phone and say, hey, Rich, my buddy Steve's moving from Texas to New York. Boom. Great. Help him sell his house in Texas. We pick up the phone. We make a connection. Next thing you know, done, finished, over. You made money. You made, everyone's happy. So it's like, it is a conscious effort. It is getting out of your comfort zone. But the question is, why are you in this business? Once again, if you're a secret agent. Great point. So if I'm hearing correctly, we believe this here as well is, is your existing clientele, by the way, is your best referral source. So that's a warm referral. That's someone who's going to speak highly of you yep. and your service and how you act and what you do and your follow through versus an internet lead. Listen, there's a statistic, I don't know if it's right anymore, it's something I heard years ago, that if you made 50 grand off a client, I'm just saying, you should make a half a million dollars off that client in lifetime referrals. Whatever you made from them, you should make 10 times that over the course of your lifetime. But the reality is less than 10% of the agents actually achieve that because they have the mentality of deal's done, I'm done. It's so interesting about the parallels that I see in, in our businesses when you're dealing with people in that same vein. I mean, it's just, you're right. People need to be able to pay attention, to focus on their on their clients, make sure they continue with those relationships and continue them for a lifetime because then they'll be successful this, from them. This, listen, I tell people this is a tough business. I'm not going to act like it's not. A million things coming at you daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. There's a lot of things people are telling you to do, how to act, how to do this, how to do that. You got to like find your comfort zone and then you have to also get out of your comfort zone. You know, if you could play both sides, you're going to end up achieving most, if not all of what you want to accomplish. But if you refuse to do certain things, which you have every right to do, Mm -hmm. you don't have to do what you don't want to do, but then don't complain when you don't achieve the level of success you think you should be entitled to. It's like, well, if you're putting 50% effort in, you're going to get a 50% result out. There's nothing wrong with that. Just acknowledge it. That's the problem. Not everybody acknowledges it. I researched the meaning of the name Malin. You did. I Uh-oh. did. And, and by researching, I mean, I Googled, I Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's, it works. The best thing is it says it, that it means strong little warrior. Oh, I, I am a strong little warrior. <laughs> so first of all, I want to thank you for being our strong little warrior well, today. Listen, I, I will run through any wall for you. My well, friend. I know. I love you to death. And I really appreciate you giving us your insights. You see what I did there? Yes, um, I, I caught that. Look, I always enjoy your company. I look forward to spending more time with you, talking shop, working on the golf course, just having dinner, hanging out. Uh, you're an absolute delight. Oh, uh, I really, I love you. you. I love, I love your family. Know that, would you please? 
What is that? Let Rach know. I already texted her. Oh, you did. Thank I you. Did. Told her. She's, she's all I good. I let her know. I know. You know, listen, there's... <laughs> listen, I guarantee you, if you're my client, I, I would get, uh, you know, $250,000 worth of referrals from you. But uh, listen, I love you to death, and I right really appreciate you. you coming on. My pleasure on, to be here. And just thank you for everything. Keep up the good work. You guys are doing a fantastic job. I really do. I met everything I said. I love the site. I love the whole team. I love the tagline. I think it's terrific. I just wish you nothing but success. Thanks, listen. I'm fortunate to work at a company with such great people. Terrific. Also, like to thank the listeners, viewers. Hope everybody enjoyed the conversation. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to uh, finsights at silverfincapital.com. Everybody have a great day. Thanks. Good night. Good night. <laughs>